The scripture I'd like to read before my prepared message is from Colossians 1, verses 9 to 12. Now, this is out of the paraphrase uh, that I sometimes use called the message by Eugene Peterson. So it may be a little bit different than your version. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. Be assured that from the first day we heard of you, this is Paul writing uh, the Colossians, we haven't stopped praying for you asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will, and so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. We pray that you'll live well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul, not the grim strength of gritting your teeth but the glory strength God gives you. It is strength that endures the endurable and spills over into joy, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. So there's something that I need to admit, probably which is a little bit embarrassing, but I'm going to come clean. It's not that dramatic. I probably didn't work as hard in some areas of my life as I could have or should have when I was younger. Doesn't mean I have it all figured out now. I try as best as I can to continue to live on my own personal growing edge. But I look back early in my life and I definitely didn't work as hard in some areas as I could have or I should have. And sometimes I reap the consequences of my own personal laziness. For example, in college I was famous for sitting down at the typewriter and cranking out a paper the night before or maybe two nights before and I never used three by five cards or four by six cards for notes. I would scratch notes down on a legal pad and I would just go ahead and type it out uh, with not much prep or hard work put into it. Now, I did fine, I got the grade, but sometimes with not much hard work uh, or effort put into it. In high school, I was more apt to play a few games of ping pong in the garage with my friends than I was to complete my Spanish, my physics, or my advanced grammar assignments. Now, I more than passed and got the assignment done, and I did well in high school to be well enough to be in the National Honor Society and actually to be president of the National Honor Society, but I didn't really work hard at my assignments. I did enough just to get by. In baseball, in high school, I did okay. My senior year, I actually did better than okay. I made all conference as a catcher. But again, to be honest, I didn't really work hard at my game. I competed hard, and I practiced hard during the season. But off the season, but off season, I didn't do much to strengthen, build my skill set, work on the fundamentals of my position. When season rolled around, I showed up for workouts and 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 did what I had to do, and then when the season was over, I was basically done. So I often wonder how some of these areas and other areas of my life would have looked different if I had just worked a bit harder, if I had just put a little bit more effort into it. The truth be known, I wanted the fruits. I wanted the fruits of success. I wanted the fruits of doing well, but I didn't want to have to put any effort in into it, into what would I could do to better myself. Now, the distinction I'm trying to make is not one um, between um, is not one between being neurotic and non-neurotic in terms of working too hard or being overproductive. The distinction I'm trying to make here is the one between effort and ease. I'm not trying to make a case for overdoing it 
or continually beating yourself up for not doing enough. That's a very real problem with some folks. Rather, I'm learning for myself that personal growth isn't always easy, doesn't come automatically, and that more often than not, it involves some hard work or some effort on my part. The, day, the late Dallas Willard uh, used to say when he wrote about the spiritual life, grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. In other words, growth and development and even maturity takes some effort on my part. It takes some effort on our part. Personal and spiritual growth is not something that just automatically happens. Now, when we think of putting in the hard work, we think of working hard at our job or working hard at our studies or working hard at our game, whether it be baseball, volleyball, basketball, football, soccer, or golf, whatever it might be. But there's other areas that we don't often think it takes hard work, mainly because we may think that growth and maturity and development just happens. One of these areas, for example, is relationships. I see many relationships and I see many friendships fizzle out. I see many marriages get stuck and stale simply because we forget that it takes hard work. We forget that it takes effort to develop them, to nourish them, to help them to grow. What I have found is flourishing friendships and flourishing marriages don't, don't just happen. They take effort and hard work. I often give uh, to couples that are uh, planning on getting married what's called a premarital assessment. It's called Prepare Enrich. And part of this assessment um, scores what's called idealistic distortion. In other words, um, how distorted is their view of the reality of marriage, of the reality of the relationship. And more often than not, a couple will score in a way that the relationship or their view of the relationship of marriage is somewhat distorted. In other words, looking at it through rose-colored glasses, everything will be fine. It will always be fine. There will be no problems, no fights, no, no disagreements, no staleness. It's as if they're saying, once we say, I do, a, a, a switch is flipped on and, and everything will always be fine and good. Now, that's a great ideal vision to have, but most of us know that's not the case. Most of us know that marriage and relationships and friendships uh, all take effort. They all take hard work. In fact, marriage can be some of the hardest work we will ever do. A good, healthy relationship just does not happen on its own. And often we quit working hard at the relationship after the reception. We work hard prior to it because we wanted to sort of woo the other person. But now that we have wooed them and now that we have married them, we expect the marriage itself to do all the work. We forget to put in the hard work ourselves. So at least you can tell that I've been thinking about this theme of hard work. Now, where did this come from um, and, and how did I sort of land on this? Well, this past week I was reflecting on a Christmas prayer by the late Howard Thurman. And um, I've used this before here at Deep River, and here's what the prayer reads. When the song of the angels is stilled, and the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princesses go home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, to make music in the heart. In a sense, what Howard Thurman is saying is when all the festivities are over, when the presents are all opened up and returned, when the tables are cleared, when the candle lighting services are over, when the Christmas cantatas are done, that's when the work of Christmas begins. It doesn't end because we're past a certain date. It doesn't 
end with the end of, season, end of the season. It doesn't end because the, the fun part of all the presents is over. It's just begun. That is the hard work that is of the Christmas message brought to life begins. That of hope, that of joy, that of good tidings, that of incarnating the presence of God in this world. That's when the hard work begins, when everything else is over. So, I've been thinking about this theme of hard work because we have just come off a very grueling week. Or you could probably say a grueling month. Or you could probably say a grueling few months um, post-election. But we've come off a very grueling week. And in my pastoral circles, one of the questions floating around was basically this. What are you going to say this weekend? What are you going to preach on? Uh, what are you going to have to say? What are your words going to be? How are you going to address anything? Well, I kind of felt I already knew what I was going to say or what I was going to preach on. And to paraphrase Howard Thurman and to get right to the point, this is what I feel led to say, and I'll expand on it in a few moments. Now that the appointed election season is over, in terms of voting, campaigning, and making our personal selections, the hard work begins. As challenging as the last few weeks or week or days has been or may have seemed, we still have some hard work. We still have a lot of hard work ahead of us. And the hard work isn't over after we step away from the voting booth. On the contrary, the hard work has just begun. So I want to give you just a few areas of hard work to consider. As you consider these words, my words, as you consider this message. The first one is this. Now is the time for the hard work of self-management and self-leadership. Let me explain. About 20 years ago, there was a, a fellow by the name of Peter Drucker called uh, the father of modern management. And this is what he wrote. In a few hundred years, when the history of our time is written from a long-term perspective, it is likely that the most important event those historians will see is not technology, nor the internet, nor e-commerce. It is an unprecedented change in the human condition. For the first time, literally, substantial and rapidly growing numbers of people have choices. For the first time, they will have to manage themselves and society is totally unprepared for it. Now this was written 20 years ago, so I guess we can, we can be the ones who judge and determine and evaluate whether he was right. Are we prepared right now for the work of self-management, for the work of self-leadership to lead and manage ourselves? Leading and managing ourselves means we work on ourselves rather than working on others. Or as I like to say, soul work is hard work. It's practicing self-awareness. It's maturing to the point of no longer blaming others, but accepting where you and I need to grow and develop. It's responding to life rather than reacting to life. Now, the Apostle Paul never used the term leading yourself or managing yourself, but maybe this is the kind of thing he was thinking about when he invited followers of Christ to, quote, work out your own salvation, as he wrote in his letter to the Philippians. In other words, I can be so fixated on working on every one else. I can be so fixated on working everyone else's salvation out that I don't pay attention to my own life. I don't pay attention to my own soul. I don't pay attention to my own growth and development. So the first area that I would invite you to consider is now is the time for the hard work of self-management. Now is the time for the hard work of self-leadership. Now is the time for you and I, for us to work on ourselves 
so that we can flourish and that we can, we can enter into life and in relationship with one another uh, with a soul that is healthy, with a soul that is whole, and at least we're on the journey towards that end. I would also add that now is the time for the hard work of getting along with each other. In his short but very practical epistle um, in the New Testament, James has this to say, and I'm reading from James chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 from the message. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It's gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings. Not hot one day and cold the next. Not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys the results. Only if you do the hard work, James writes, of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Now this is hard work. It's really hard work since our natural tendency and sometimes my natural tendency is to withdraw, to isolate to blame, to cut myself off from one another, or we cut ourselves off from others. We end up treating one another based on our differences, based on our prejudices, rather than with dignity and honor. Now what James shows us here, I think, is very important, that holiness is not some kind of ethereal, mystical, ecstatic, otherworldly experience, some kind of head-in-the-clouds moment. Holiness really has to do with getting along with others. If we want to see, if you will, the litmus test of our own spiritual development, let's look at our relationships. If we want to see the litmus test of our own spiritual growth and emotional maturity, let's look at how we treat one another. If we want to see whether or not we are growing from emotional infancy into emotional adulthood, from spiritual infancy into spiritual adulthood, let's pay attention to our relationships. As James says, you develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys the results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. And it's this kind of hard work of getting along with others that adds to the work of building community. I remember years ago reading uh, an article where in, 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 uh, in the middle of this article, this pastor wrote, some of the hardest work that you'll ever do is that of building community. And I thought, nah, that's not true. Building community is the easiest thing to do. Now, this was me years ago. I thought you just get a bunch of people together, you fellowship together, you have a few meals together, uh, you get to know each other, and you've built community. Like I said, I didn't put a lot of hard work or effort in, in my younger years, and I was also pretty naive. What I have learned in 35 years of pastoral ministry is building community is the hardest, most challenging work to do. Because we all have our own agendas, we all have our own different feelings, we all have our different views, we all have our issues that we're working through, we all have our ways about feeling about each other, we all have our defenses, we all have our ways that we compensate, we all have our ways that we cope, and all of it affects our relationships. And so building community can be the most challenging thing that we can do. It's not something that happens automatically. Gathering together or being on a Zoom call, as important as that can be, doesn't necessarily equal community or building community. Community building, building community with one another is hard work. It takes effort. It takes grace. It takes patience. It takes resilience. It takes a commitment to one another for better or for worse. And I use that term intentionally because, quite honestly, when you're in a friendship with someone, when you're in a marriage, 
When you're in any kind of relationship, you are literally are building community with that person, even if it's just two of you. And we don't build community only when we hang in there with the good times. We build community when we hang in there for better or for worse. So now is the time for the hard work of getting along with each other. And what James says is this is the work of holiness. This is holy, sacred work. And then now is the time for the hard work of building or rebuilding a flourishing future for everyone in our neighborhoods, communities, in our cities, and our world. In the 58th chapter of the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, we read Isaiah where he envisions a world that God intends for everyone. It's a world where we are sharing our bread with the hungry, sharing our food with the hungry, where we're paying attention to the homeless, those that are oppressed. We're helping those who are suffering. We're building strong homes and we're building healthy families and and Isaiah paints this picture of where that is more important than all the sort of virtual ways that we worship. And, 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 and what he is really saying is God intends a flourishing creation for everyone, and we are here to help make that happen. And then Isaiah says this, quote, Then your light will break out like the dawn, and you will be healed quickly. In other words, our actions of compassion and presence will make a difference in healing our world. It will make a difference in making our world whole if I and you and us, we want to make that effort and we want to work hard at it. And then Isaiah offers these words. If you remove the yoke from among you, the finger pointing and the wicked speech, if you open your heart to the hungry and provide abundantly for those who are afflicted, your light will shine in the darkness and your gloom will be like the noon. In other words, it'll, it'll be like the brightest part of the day. The Lord will guide you continually and provide for you even in parched places. He will rescue your bones and you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water that won't run dry. In other words, you and I will be a refreshing presence to those around us. And then Isaiah writes this, and they, you and I, God's people, will rebuild ancient ruins on your account. The foundations of generations past you will restore. You will be called mender of broken walls, restorer of livable streets. Isn't that a great thing to be called? Mender of broken walls, restorer of livable streets? That's a much better thing to be called than creator of, uh, creator of, of walls that separate people and those who perpetuate actions that make streets unlivable. We get to be called a mender of broken walls and restorer of livable streets. Or as the translation of the message puts it, you'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. Now that's a high calling, <laughs> I admit, to make the community livable again. But that's our calling. That's in a sense, what happens when we partner with God. That's what it means to do the hard work of building or rebuilding a flourishing future for everyone. It is to make the community livable again. The neighborhoods in which we live, the cul-de-sacs in which we live, the cities and states and nations and countries in which we live. Now, I'm not suggesting that we um, don't take time for rest and renewal. I'm simply suggesting that we are invited into this process 
And it is a glorious process to be able to contribute in that way. Finally, I would add this. Now is the time to do the hard work of staying engaged with life, with one another, and with our spiritual practices. Honestly, it probably feels very easy to check out and disengage. I get that. I sometimes do that myself. But this is different than unplugging. This is different than just taking a step back and renewing and restoring. That is important. What I mean by disengaging is there are times that we have to, there are times that we just check out and we say, I don't want to be any part of this. I don't want to try to fix this. I don't want to try to bring some good to this world. I don't want to try to do anything to make our communities livable again. I don't even want to contribute to the building up of community. I'm not even sure I want to contribute to making the relationships healthy and whole again. But I would, I would challenge and invite and say, now is the time to do the hard work of staying engaged with life, with one another, and with our spiritual practices. Even during the pandemic, we have ways to stay connected to ourselves and one another. We have ways to stay whole. We have ways to restore what we need. And this world, more than ever, needs people who are filled with the light of God's wisdom, with the grace to bring light to our world. This world now needs more than ever us bearing witness to God's grace and God's mercy and God's goodness and God's wisdom and God's faithfulness. I want to quote, uh, close with this quote from Parker Palmer. Parker Palmer is a Quaker author and speaker. A few years ago, he actually wrote a book entitled Healing the Heart of Democracy. Um, and so I want to circle back around and read uh, just what he has to say as closing thoughts. Full engagement in the movement called democracy requires no less of us than full engagement in the living of our own lives. We carry the past with us, so we must understand its legacy of deep darkness as well as strong light. We can, see the we can see the future only in imagination, so we must continue to dream of freedom, peace, and justice for everyone. Meanwhile, we live in the present moment with its tedium and terror, its fears and hopes, its incomprehensible losses, and its transcendent joys. It is a moment in which it often feels as if nothing we do will make a difference, and yet so much depends on us. Full engagement in the movement called democracy requires no less of us than full engagement in the living of our own lives. And you've heard me say before, a very short definition of the spiritual life is simply living life well. It's my invitation, folks. Those are the words I want to offer on this Sunday after the election, the weekend after the election. Um, I don't know how these words will be received. Um, I know that everyone is all over the map, literally, in emotions, in feelings, and how they're processing all this. Uh, take some time if you need to. Uh, unplug if you need to. Get a break. Find uh, some restoration for your soul. Uh, whatever it might be. But my invitation, and I guess my challenge, is that making our communities livable again, helping our world to be a place for everyone, for the common good, uh, bringing um, uh, ourselves to this moment in a way in which our world can flourish is going to take effort. It's going to take hard work. And 
quite honestly, I look back on my early years in high school and college with a little bit of regret, if not a lot of bit of regret. What were the fruits or what could have been the fruits of my life if I had worked a little bit harder, if I had given it just a little bit more effort? And so at this season of my life, I want to give as much effort as possible, as much hard work as possible, not just for me, not just for those in the present, but really for those that have come after me. I want to be able to hand off to them a world that flourishes for everyone, a world in which the communities are livable, a world in which everyone has a chance to succeed and everyone has a chance to flourish. And I want to be able to do that so that at the end of my life, I have no regrets and I can say I worked as hard as I could at it and I gave it my best effort.